Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is brought to you by Epsilon and their award-winning People Cloud loyalty solution. I'm always delighted to have Epsilon on board as a sponsor, and particularly today as they were just named a leader in the Forrester Wave Loyalty Solutions Q2 2021 report with the top score in the current offering category. This report is designed to help you as marketeers find the perfect partner for your loyalty program. So to download your copy of the report, visit epsilon.com forward slash let's talk loyalty. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm joined by Phil Rubin, a veteran with more than 30 years experience in the loyalty industry. Now in his role as Executive Vice President of Bond Brand Loyalty, Phil joins me to discuss one of the longest standing, best known and most trusted sources of insights in the loyalty industry. Known simply as the Loyalty Report, it features research with over 25,000 consumers in North America. And this year, in 2021, it covers exciting topics such as a clear focus on share of wallet, their updated view on the drivers of loyal customer experiences, and my favorite current topic of all, the idea of brands being loyal to their customers before expecting loyalty from them. So, with that introduction and background, I'd like to welcome Phil Rubin of Bond Brand Loyalty to Let's Talk Loyalty. So, Phil, please do tell me, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? My favorite loyalty statistic, by far, is one that I refer to as comp customer. Okay. Which is, think about the way retailers measure their performance. They measure it with a denominator of same store, so same store sales. Okay. We're in the customer marketing business. Our challenge is to drive growth through Mm -hmm. customers, right? As Peter Drucker, the management consulting strategy guru said, the purpose of a business is to create a customer. Yes. So the corollary to that, if you're in the customer marketing and loyalty business is to extend the value of that customer. So comp customer is a very simple metric, but it's one that's way underutilized in, in our view. And, yeah. and it's it's calculated very simple. It's literally same customer sales period over period. Okay, same. So I, yeah. So that would be comp customer sales. Okay. You can get into comp customer margin. You can get into comp customer engagement, okay. activity, okay. all kinds of things. It also allows you to easily build a loyalty P and L, which is to look at mm. your net comp customer growth. Mm-hmm. So net incremental sales on a same customer basis, separating out acquisition. Sure. Or not, but, yeah. but typically yeah. you'd, you'd yeah. separate out acquisition, especially if, if you're the person in the organization responsible for loyalty. Yeah, of course. And retention. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look at net customer margin on a comp basis, mm-hmm. you're looking at the delta, the mm-hmm. change year over yeah. year, and then you can just take out program costs. Yeah. 
reward costs inclusive. Sure. And you can build a neat little P&L. Mm. So that's my favorite metric. If I have to, that's my desert island metric for sure. <laughs> well, I, I really hope we never have to have a desert island metric, Phil, because that would be a little bit sad. Um, but no, well, it's it's very clever. So, and not one I've heard of. So you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's definitely underutilized. I haven't worked, for example, in grocery or, or, or lots of sectors, of course. Um, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. And again, even building those p L's, I think um, there's probably a lot of us that don't get enough practice or expertise or guidance in building um, a credible P&L, I think. So, um, so that's really useful. So thank you for sharing that. And, and I suppose to give some context as, as to, to where all of this expertise is coming from, uh, let's start at the beginning, Phil. How did you get into loyalty and tell us about your loyalty career to date? Well, it was sort of twofold, but I, it, it really goes back to a little bit of luck. Okay. In that, so, I, so this, this will explain why comp customer is one of my favorite metrics. I was a finance major undergrad. Okay. I went to work for the original Macy's department stores in their executive training program back when nice. it was still the original Macy's. Beautiful. Yeah. Went back to graduate school and with the idea and this is sort of the, the second half of the 80s, right? Booming stock markets. And of course, being a finance undergrad, I wanted to be an investment banker. In graduate school, I became more interested. The more, I, the more work I did, both academically and professionally while I was in school, yeah. got me interested in marketing. Okay. And then there was a course that I took second semester, second year of of graduate school mm. that was bought, that was taught by this guy who came out of the University of Chicago, which is a real quant finance school. Okay, but it was a, but it was basically using quantitative financial models to explain market share. Mm. Okay, and out of that came the idea, all kinds of ideas that ultimately I applied to loyalty. But really, but but simply put. I flew to Chicago to interview with Leo Burnett. At the time, Ooh. they were the best advertising agency in the world. Sure. And my grandparents lived in Chicago and they lived downtown. And if I flew Midway Airlines, they would pick me up because it was the close and convenient airport. Uh huh. If I flew into O'Hare, I was on my own to get into the city. Okay. So, of course, I, I flew into Midway. And really what happened is I flew this airline and fell in love with the experience, with the customer experience, the culture, the wow. spirit of Midway. Okay. And wrote a letter to them because there was no, God hadn't invented <laughs> the internet or email yeah. for, uh, for our purposes back then. Sure. Connected with John Tag, who most recently was the CEO of Hertz and told him I wanted to come to work. I told him about my experience and I wanted to come to work for Midway. Wow. And coincidentally, they were, creating this brand management structure in the marketing organization. Yeah. And one of the roles ended up, one of the roles was head of frequent flyer marketing. And this was 1989. There weren't that many people yeah. to hire who had done that. So they took a chance on me because of my persistence. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it was an amazing experience. We, we grew the airline from 450 to $700 million in about, you know, less than a year and a half. And my goodness. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, back then there, there was a lot of innovation to do. And we were, we, it was, we were fortunate to have a pretty lean senior management structure. So it was really easy to get decisions made internally to do things. Yeah. We were aggressive. John was aggressive and yeah. it was just super fun days. Wow. Sounds like the dream job, Phil. It was a dream job in a lot of ways, not a dream industry because it, it led right up to the recession of 1990. Fuel yeah. prices doubled, interest, uh, you know, money, credit dried up sure. and we were undercapitalized. Uh, uh, but it ultimately led to it led to working with Mark Lasik and Peter Brennan at the Lasik Group and starting their office in Atlanta to work with Delta Airlines and Okay. It, it 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 really turned out to be a great springboard into the into the business of loyalty. Absolutely. And then how did Or Dialogue come about? And I know that's a very Irish pronunciation. My my <laughs> listeners in the UK would say R Dialogue. <laughs> so I do get some um, some teasing about that. But tell us um about the agency that you founded, I think 15 years ago now, or maybe 16. So tell us the story of, of your own company. Yeah, thanks. Uh I had joined a firm that uh, that wanted to get into the loyalty business. They were private equity funded and had raised a bunch of money on the thesis of doing such. Okay. But in reality, they weren't really, it wasn't the right infrastructure to create a loyalty business. Okay. And so I was, I, I, as part of that executive team and a shareholder in that company, um, and part of yeah, part of the leadership team, we were having some challenges, not on the loyalty side. We were building the loyalty side. There wasn't a lot to work from, so we had to sort of create everything. Okay. The legacy business was in turnaround mode, and it really came down to, as a business, we really needed to focus on one thing, and that one thing wasn't the new business that we were starting, that I was starting. Yeah. There was this loyalty practice. So I, made a, I was able to make a friendly deal to spin off this little group nice. that I had started. Okay. And and that's how we got started. And the name, our dialogue came from now, by this point, the internet actually was invented. <laughs> and it occurred to me that the, uh, you know, fundamental to what we do is create a relevant dialogue between brands and customers. Okay. Okay. And, and so I bought the URL relevantdialogue.com, okay. knowing that at some point I would have a use for it. Yeah. And then when we formed the company, I let the team convince me that our dialogue sounded a little bit more interesting than Relevant Dialogue. Okay. So okay. Relevant Dialogue became the blog, but the R always stood for Relevant. Okay. I love it. Yeah. And I never know how to, to name things or brand them, Phil. So um, yeah, I probably would have gone with the literal Relevant Dialogue. So <laughs> I love it. But uh, but Or Dialogue certainly has um, an extraordinary reputation uh, up until, I guess, uh, this time last year, I guess, when uh, Bond Brand Loyalty actually bought out Or Dialogue. So you're now Executive Vice President of Bond Brand Loyalty. So congratulations, extraordinary role. Thank you. It was a really interesting time. We we literally closed our deal February 7th, 2020. Okay. So yeah. It was about you know more or less a month before everything shut down. Okay. Uh interesting time to complete a merger, but you know, now whatever 15 almost 16 months post close, uh okay. we're well integrated and doing all kinds of things beyond 
the legacy, our dialogue stuff. For sure, for sure. So with uh, 30 odd years, I had to do the maths there uh, quickly, 30 odd years of loyalty experience. Um, I guess the main purpose of today's call is to talk about the loyalty report. So this extraordinary piece of work that Bond has uh, been publishing now for over a decade. Um, I think this year's report has a sample of over 25,000 North American consumers and more than 450 loyalty programs. So um, it is an extraordinary piece of work, extremely well respected. And I know you've made a lot of changes as well, Phil, first of all, in how the loyalty report is um, is designed and built, uh, probably to the, um, the point of the opening paragraph, which talks about, you know, the unprecedented year. And I know that is the probably most most used term of, of 2020, 2021. Um, but there's no denying it. Um, it is unprecedented time. So, so tell us about the loyalty report. Um, when did you start getting involved with it? Um, you know, and, and tell us exactly what uh, what's coming through. Well, the, the the funny the funny thing is that at at our dialogue before we became part of Bond, yeah, we always looked at the loyalty report as a great source of data, totally. and we use the we use the data and the insights to validate a lot of our views, yes. and approaches yes. in the marketplace. Yeah. So we've always had. And I think a lot of the industry, if, sure. if you look at what's out there, it, it it is absolutely one of the reference points for the industry. Yeah. And and obviously part of what attracted us to bond and bond to our dialogue was aligned views, kind of an aligned view of the world. Okay. Especially, you know, bond traditionally being bond brand loyalty and that notion of connecting people to brands. Mm-hmm. was what is is a little bit different not to overly analyze it but the you know, loyalty is such an emotional thing yeah when you get down to it is not a purely transactional mm-hmm. state even though totally. a lot of it is for a lot of brands and a lot of strategies out there they're very transactional yeah I've always liked to say transactional loyalty drives neither mm. loyalty or transactions. Yeah. So what we're able to do this year and my my involvement initially was just to help Aaron Dauphiny and, and, and others scale the ability to share the insights with clients and partners and prospects, people who were who were interested in yeah. in the report. And, and, and that was just sort of a natural way to look at it and think about how do we increase the value what what is an, what was an already valuable knowledge asset mm-hmm. to level it up to make it more strategic at a CMO level relative yeah. to not just how loyalty programs perform but also how the brand performs mm-hmm. yeah and and to think about things like the interaction of the relationship between the program and the brand, the brand and the program, and of course the customer's relationships with both of those things, the brand okay. and the program. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, recognize <clears throat> that <laughs> you mentioned 30 years for me, 40 years since really the beginning of modern loyalty marketing. Sure. The changes that were that were taking place even before the pandemic really related to moving to to recognize 
the paramount importance of experiences over things. Yeah. And loyalty, at least for the leaders, the, the ones that we view, the, the, the companies and brands that we view as, as, as the loyalty leaders, especially globally, because yeah. yeah. that's a lot of our business, mm. that, that we needed to better reflect the experiential pieces, which were already there. We'd already established in in twenty in the twenty twenty loyalty report that if you break down the drivers of loyalty, they were they were roughly set. Well, they were seventy six percent experiential and twenty four percent transactional. Transactional being defined as traditional accrual and redemption, earn and burn, wow, points and free stuff. Yeah. And we wanted to refine that a little bit more. And we had developed this loyalty ecosystem in our dialogue with five drivers that had, that had received. And we had done our own primary research to, to, yeah. to de- develop and validate that. Okay. So it, it just was sort of a natural convergence between that and, and this great 10-year longitudinal yeah. data set from TLR mm. to, to combine those and embed those. And we had been... So, so basically, we're able to do that within the quantitative study that we deploy as one of the primary data collection vehicles for, for the TLR insights. And it was obviously an interesting time to go yeah. to field with the survey. Interestingly, the 2020 TLR study came out of market March 17th, 2020. Oh, my goodness. So it was this perfectly clean look at the yeah. world pre-COVID. Sure. And of course, we went we went to market to field the study, you know, towards the tail end for some countries, mm-hmm. you know, sort of when there was that proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. But obviously yeah. there's still a lot large parts of the world that are that are far yeah. uh far from back to being quote unquote open. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But so, so that was basically how that that's that's how we that that's what led to the evolution yeah. of TLR. And we we wanted to be respectful of everything that came before and preserve the yeah. ability for brands that had used the data yeah. year over year to to be able to continue to do so while in the same time mm. layering in some of these new mm. features and insights that we wanted to create. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously I talk a lot about my my favorite loyalty statistics and you've already shared yours, but I think your 76% experiential versus 24% transactional is going on my on my list of, of favorite statistics, Phil, because that's that's not one I've seen. Like it's it's, you know, that's incredible. Three quarters is experiential and, and just, you know, one quarter on the transactional side. That's really powerful. Well, especially when you think about the thousands and thousands of programs that are out there yeah. in the marketplace today and how many of them are still remarkably the same. They're formulaic <laughs> yes. points, rewards, Stops, and or, yeah. some don't go much further than that. And yeah. it's not to say that that doesn't matter, Yeah. but when it's, you know, 76, 24, roughly 80, 20 yeah. experiential. And, and that's, that was a that was a, a data point that a number of other folks, not just mm. us, had pointed to 2020 as the year where experience was really going to overtake 
yeah. the traditional drivers of consumer choice. Mm. And, so t- and sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go. No, I was literally going to pick up on exactly that, that the drivers of loyalty, Phil, because you've mentioned, you know, there were five initially and now they have expanded to seven. So I'd love you just to uh, to, to call out what, um, you know, in, in the bond loyalty report, what are the seven drivers of loyalty that, that you're seeing? Sure. So the the two new ones, which which arguably were there before, and we think of them as foundational. Uh, and I say they were there before because they're not new ideas, and they're things that I think we all, as as marketers, would know. Yeah. Uh, but but they dialed up in importance. Yeah. And I don't think they'll go away. The the first one being safety. Yeah. And safety, security, which is both physiological in in light of the pandemic, but it's also the security of your data. Of course, yeah, yeah. The security of your identity. Yeah, yeah. there have been so many massive data breaches over the last few years, especially. Or yeah. they've probably always been there, but the last few years they've been identified sure. <laughs> as, <laughs> as breaches. Yeah, which relates to the the importance of trust. And you know, there's been so much good research done by others specific like like Edelman for example really focused on the idea of trust yeah so safety and security we think is of as just a foundational non-negotiable regardless yeah. of your brand or your business you have to be there the other one is relevant communications mm, okay if if you think back to the beginning of loyalty programs and why they were created it was to get permission to track your customer base and create a database of customers so that you could target people behaviorally. Sure. And and that's never changed, even though I think a lot of people have still lost sight of that being critically important. But in the year 2021 and going forward, and this isn't a new thing, that, that recognition and that willingness on the part of a consumer or a customer to sort of opt up, not just opt in, but opt up, and the implication of by opting in to membership, which is an opt up, mm-hmm. I trust you as a brand and a company even more. And part of that trust is based on my willingness to share my data with you in return for you mm-hmm. treating me like treating me as a better customer overall, yeah. right? Giving me a better customer experience. Part of which is using the data to set, to communicate with me in a relevant manner mm-hmm. so, so that I see that you're using the data to be more relevant to me, which kind of goes back to how, yeah, the, like a, a core definition of what loyalty marketing is, mm. which simply, you know, at least one person's view is paying attention to customers and treating them accordingly. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Same way we want to treat people in our own relationships that have nothing to do with selling anything. Exactly. Um, And and so those are the two foundational drivers. And then there's five others others that really reflect what what we brought and what we had validated before. And then they're even more important. Yeah. Starts with recognition. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you need a, which, which, which goes yeah. into personalization and, and relevance and mm-hmm. remembering a customer, not just by name, but remembering something about them. Yeah. Number two, keeping them informed. Mm-hmm. 
So educating them on how to get the most value in their interaction with the business and the brand. Okay. Number three, the financial driver okay, of, yes. of unlocking financial value. Yes. Yep. Number four, and what is really defined in this year's data set as a super, super enabler, yeah. a, a critical, more powerful driver, and that is the driver of time. Mm. So a number of years ago, we talked about time as the new loyalty currency. Both yeah. our dialogue and bond sort of came out with that okay. in parallel, coincidentally, yeah. okay, amazing. Uh, like 2016, 2017. It's even more important now, in part because of trends pre-COVID, but, but also in part because of how we all view time in light of what we've experienced the last 15 years. So, so time is, is the fourth of the, the other five. And then the fifth one is access. Okay. Which could be access to sort of unlocks okay. in terms of exclusive offers, exclusive yeah. experiences, the proverbial unobtainium. It's mm-hmm. also access to the brand and it's access to a community. Oh, nice. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Okay. And just can can I clarify the time one, Phil, because um, my direct assumption on that one is, you know, for a higher tier frequent flyer member, for example, um, certainly when I worked with British Airways, we had, you know, a dedicated team and you automatically skipped the the call center queue um, as a gold member. So giving them time and superior service. So is that the kind of concept that you mean under that heading? Absolutely. It's it's okay. creating the most seamless, frictionless experiences as possible. Okay. okay. Though though uh, though there are there is also another dimension of time, mm. which is more situ- more contextual, which is the idea that there are times where you shouldn't rush. You've got to get sort of the right cadence of mm. touches with a customer. Okay. Which could be, you could think about it like you're in a, you're in a restaurant enjoying a leisurely meal and yeah. you want your, you want to get the most out of the experience and you don't want to be rushed. Yes. Um, would be one. The other could be you're a prospect for a business yeah. and you don't need to be reminded 47 times a day about how much business, how much value you can get from that business. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so time is a, is a little bit relative there. Yeah. You've reminded me of uh, the title of a book I loved uh, years ago, nothing to do with loyalty, but it's called In Praise of Slow. So, you know, slow experiences, you know, and certainly in a restaurant context, Phil, you know, I will go to certain restaurants if I know they don't have a, you know, fast turnaround policy and I can enjoy the whole evening as, I guess, a premium customer. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things in terms of time in light of COVID, mm. but again, this was before as well, is a, as a business and a brand, you've got to show enough to your customers mm. to make them believe that that your brand is worthy of their time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because there's so many, I mean, especially in the US, but increasingly in a lot of places in the world, mm. there are a, new, a myriad of brand choices to make of course for different things yeah and you've got to choose which one's worth your time especially when you're going to more deeply engage with that with that brand or business absolutely absolutely 
And and just in summary, so that's the seven drivers and that's super clear. So thanks for talking those through, Phil. Um, I think my favorite evolution of the report, as I've I've just obviously been through the executive summary, was this this whole idea of first of all starting to measure the sense of reciprocity, which I think is the term that's used. So I think as you've explained really well in the introduction, there are so many reasons to to measure loyalty and you know how successful it is. But always bring from the the brand's perspective. And I've been talking about this because somebody quoted their favorite statistic that, you know, consumers believe that the purpose of a loyalty program is for the brand to demonstrate loyalty to them. But the vast majority of marketers think it's exactly the opposite, like we're, again, driving behavior change. So so that's an extraordinary evolution. Um, How did that come through? So so if you go back again to why why do loyalty programs exist the, mm-hmm. the 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 proposition or the quid pro quo the reciprocity was always yeah we're the brand you're the customer prove your value to us we'll make your world a little bit better <laughs> right yeah and over time we recognized and this goes back to like the mid, the mid t- like 2015 i think was when we first sort of laid this this okay. idea out that Okay. Recognizing the shifts that we that we observed in the marketplace, that was no longer sufficient. Number yeah. one, there are too too many loyalty programs, too much hom- homogeneity among yeah. those loyalty programs. So to really stand out and to really pay off the corporate strategy promise, especially to the investment community. Yeah. Oh, we're a, we're a customer centric corporation, right? Yeah that you really had to recognize that customer loyalty starts with the brand showing loyalty to the customer, not the other way around. Brilliant. And and that was a very provocative thing for us to go out and talk about in the marketplace six years ago. Totally. And I still think it is. (laughs) So I'm really happy we're having this discussion. (laughs) Sadly, yes. That's the madness of having done this for 30 years. Like, yeah, yeah. Come on, let's let's all get better because the better we all anyway. um, So so what 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 we what we what we were able to do in this year's TLR. Yeah. Was actually establish the correlation. Mm -hmm. No, we. So number one, we established the correlation that when the customer feels the brand is loyal to them, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, it makes them feel more loyal to the brand. Amazing. <laughs> Shocking, wow. right? I know. <laughs> and and the, the program does that in parallel. Yeah. But the real winners is when the, and, and we also bring in, marketers perspective. So we did a marketer survey as well. Okay. And and we identified to your point a minute ago the big divergence between marketers believing that they're loyal to their customers. Yeah. And customers not believing that. Oh. And it's the the rate I forget the number but it's roughly 2 to 1. Yeah. In terms of yeah. in terms of that disconnect. Yes, it is a disconnect. Exactly what it is, Phil. Yeah. And and then the other really cool thing relative to that sort of that notion of reciprocity, and we could talk like we could we could do a whole like hour just on the, the idea of reciprocity. But the other the other thing that I 
I think is a big evolution in terms of the insights in this year's TLR is yeah. we've taken that notion of reciprocity yeah. as a function of the seven loyalty drivers okay, and how they drive the, the business outcome, which is why we all do this. Of course. Of driving share a wallet. Ah, okay. Which would also probably be in my top five I'd be my top five loyalty metrics, but, but yeah, the, the, you know, where, whereas, and we still, we still, we still track this metric that we've used before overall satisfaction, mm-hmm. but the problem with overall satisfaction, like the problem with net promoter score and, you yeah. know, Reichelds. So many. Yeah. Let's say it's maybe a second best book, not as the best book that he wrote. <laughs> My view was the loyalty effect. Okay. Still probably the best book on loyalty marketing. Okay. Um, but the problem with net promoter score, the problem with overall satisfaction is you can't take that to the CFO. Mm. You need to be able to take that to the CFO. You need to be able to take that to your stakeholders, especially your investors. Yeah. And this goes back to as marketers, and, and this is a little bit of my finance perspective, mm. but the, the ultimate question for those of us who do this kind of work mm-hmm. and it's even more so for CMOs today because CMOs are the C-level officer being held accountable for driving profitable growth. Yeah. Is have you, how do you demonstrate that you are driving profitable organic mm. growth from customers? Okay. One of the ways you do that is by growing share of wallet. One of the ways you okay. measure that yep. is through the, the comp customer metric. Okay. Which gets to what we see, but again, it's from a very small percentage of companies out there where you actually hear a CFO or a CEO on a quarterly earnings report mm-hmm. actually talk about those kinds of metrics yeah. to, to the investment community. Mm. And, and it, 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 it's an underdeveloped area, a huge opportunity yeah. um, to, to really sort of bring this notion of customer marketing or loyalty marketing even more to the forefront, yeah. which is where it's come. But it's, it, it's certainly amid, amidst all the other marketing yes. bright, shiny objects, <laughs> um, I, I still feel like after 40 years, we, we don't quite get the respect we, we, we should for, for the work that we do. Well, thank you, Phil, because I constantly feel that. And I'm like, am I the only one who's feeling hard done by? <laughs> so listeners, yes, we're all feeling it. So don't worry. <laughs> if Phil's got it, we definitely all have it. Um, so I'll pick up on a couple of things that you mentioned there. First of all, just on the homogeneity, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, I always do love to see North American statistics um, just because, again, the market is so mature. Um, so average number of memberships I see in the report is at 16.7. Um, average number of active memberships is 7.4. So already a huge, you know, divergence. And I'm sure that's probably come through in all of your previous reports. Um, but yeah, the whole concept of share of wallet is something I'm hearing coming up now in a lot of conversations. I think in the past, it was all around that kind of emotional piece that we talked about before and experiences, but now it is about share of wallet because, you know, ultimately that's where the opportunities lie. 
Yeah, and and the 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 data points you just mentioned, the the, the seven point four and the the, the 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 and the sixty, yes. those are those are upticks. Those are notable upticks wow. from years prior. Interesting. Now, whether those will revert back to the mean, mm-hmm. we we won't know for no, at least another year or two. Okay. But what they reflect, and I think this is where Cheryl Wallet for this year becomes a critical yeah. metric. Yeah is the fact that there was so much customer volatility mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Of course, yeah. And, and and again, I think that's one of those things where there was a certain level of cognitive dissonance, buyer's remorse, even okay. among loyal locked-in customers, mm. locked-in being in air quotes. Yeah. But so many, so many habits and so much inertia was disrupted because of the pandemic, literally because yeah. certain stores were, were, were just, they, they had to, you know, Macy's was closed. They, they closed yeah. all their stores in March, for example. Yeah. And what that led to was pe- consumers being forced to try new brands mm. to do business, whether it was going to a different grocery store because they had paper yeah. towels and toilet paper yeah. um, or, because they couldn't go to their favorite restaurant. So they were shifting to ordering food to be delivered and they could only get whatever those factors were Mm. led to a a significant, whether it was the most we've ever seen, I don't know, but depending on whose data you look at 30 to 40% of customers tried new brands and switched. Yeah. You know, two thirds were two a majority tried new brands, 30% switched and didn't go back. Sure. The question becomes going forward. And I think this is where the insights in TLR are so powerful yeah. this year. Yeah. Is, is because we don't know whether those customers are going to come back. And more importantly, because not everybody's delivering the same caliber experience. If somebody goes and they're forced to try a new brand, and they, they have a good experience, mm. it's going to be that much harder to win them back. Yeah. And it's also going to be that much more incumbent on the brand that they were new to, mm-hmm. to do what they need to do to retain them. Mm. Absolutely. So it, 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 it really feels like we're on the cusp of this sort of new intense mm. <laughs> battle yeah. for the share of yeah. customer that we, you know, that you, that you as a brand, you as a business think you deserve, but it, 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 you can't play the same cards that have been played for the last 35, 40 years yeah. and expect to win going forward. And, and I think that's particularly true. And this is one of the areas we, we dive deep in in TLR. Mm-hmm. It's especially true among the younger yes, consumers. Yes. And Gen but, Z. Yes. Absolutely, but also older affluent. Yeah. Because they have the ability to be that they're they're just as discretionary and they have a lot of a lot of things yeah. uh, in common, which is a, just another really interesting area. I mean, it's a it's a fascinating time to be doing this kind of work right now. 
It is. And you've reminded me of, of something, uh, one of your statistics that I pulled out, which I really hadn't seen here, certainly. And uh, it's it's on the payment side, actually, and that within Gen Z, uh, 57% of them are using this buy now, pay later. So, I mean, that's an extraordinary, apparently, maybe a new hygiene factor if you want a loyal Gen Z customer. Maybe, you know, you have to provide that payment functionality, which wouldn't have even been on my radar before in terms of a driver of, of business with the, with the customer segment. Yeah, it, it, it is really interesting. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine, Michael Rouse, he used to be the general manager of uh, American Express Loyalty and Membership Ooh. Rewards. Yeah. And then went on to work for Klarna. Okay. Used to love to wave a credit card I get a conference and talk about this is 1950s technology. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it that yeah, that business hasn't radically evolved. Yeah. In in more years than the loyalty business hasn't yeah. <laughs> evolved. <laughs> and so, you know, you see companies like Alliance Data Systems buying bread. Yeah. You see a lot of innovation around new cards that actually yeah. have traditional credit, but also have, you know, mm. traditional credit or uh, revolve mm. pro, uh, offers mm. value propositions, but also adding in a buy now, pay later. And you look at yeah. businesses like Peloton, who've who've had exponential growth because of their deal with a firm. Yeah, it really is changing the landscape. It's it's yeah. it's democratizing access to it. Well, yeah. More than anything, it's creating open to buy for consumers mm. that's driving demand. And and you know, between that and and all the all the, the pent-up demand from COVID, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of business at stake these days. You're right. Yeah. And again, I mean, I'm I'm very familiar with the concept of the convergence of payments and loyalty, but in my head that was always just the functional piece, not the delayed payment, you know, this this whole payment plan concept. So so really love to see that coming through. And, and we're not going to get to do justice, Phil, to, to everything in this report, just because it's so um, extensive, even the executive summary. Um, I want to pull out a couple of my favorites in terms of um, the brands that are coming through. Um, what I also want to thank you for is, is giving me a prospect list for podcast interviews. <laughs> so <laughs> I now have uh, three times 13, so 39 less. I've only had one or two of them on the show, Phil. So, um, well, certainly 39 brands that are coming out as best in class. So I love the fact that you are kind of, you know, identifying the, the leading loyalty um, businesses in all of these kind of core categories. Um, so my favorite, I think, just came out as one of the first, which was the Adidas uh, Creators Club. So I don't know if you've worked with that one, but I just love the, the whole concept of community and scores very highly on this key point that we talked about, that the brand is loyal to me. Yes. Um I couldn't have asked you to pick a better example. Oh, um, good. We it, agree. <laughs> so, so we've we've done a lot of work in that category. Okay. Uh, with with the two global leaders, and and, and, wow. and 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 I'll just say, yeah, um, we've had good times at, with with the swoosh, and we love <laughs> we love the three stripes as well, even sure. more so. Yeah. It's a it, it it's it's a fascinating and great example of innovation and uh, innovation in terms of loyalty proposition, paying yeah. the proper homage. 
yes. to a point-based system, yes. but, but not in a purely transactional way. Yeah, for and, sure. And one of the things, one of the things we identify in TLR, both for credit cards and for omni-tender or non-tender loyalty propositions, is mm-hmm. it and and yeah, this this isn't a new idea. Somebody, somebody, another publication came out with this a couple of years ago, and they said or they were promoting an event, I think, and they said if you're not rethinking your loyalty program and proposition, mm-hmm. you're in the minority. Oh, yes. And we're so we're seeing a lot of that. And I think what what Adidas or Adidas has done with Creators yeah. Club yeah. is look at the marketplace, look at uh, certainly look at look at Nike, mm. which is one of the most valuable brands in the world and the dominant player size wise in that yeah. business. Yeah. With a long legacy around membership through what was originally Nike plus mm-hmm. and became Nike membership. Yeah. In a, and Nike's assiduously non-transactional. Of course. In, in, you know, membership is a very soft benefit type of proposition. What it, but, but it, it's missing going back to the loyalty drivers. It's missing on that core driver of recognition. Mm. And this this also plug another chapter in our yes. loyalty report because we, we did one on tiers. Yes. But what it, what Creators Club has done so exceptionally well is are, are a couple things. Number one, the integration with the Adidas brand and what the Adidas brand represents yeah. is pitch perfect. Yeah. Number two, they use points as a mechanism for for the brand mm. and for customers for members to mm. keep score mm. so that their value is known. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then the tiers allow Adidas to recognize the value of members, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they do this with a with a with a with a rich set of benefits yeah. that are not about getting free stuff, mm-hmm. and they're not about getting discounts. They're all about how do you get the most from Adidas through Creators Club as the mechanism. Beautiful, and and so. Uh, yeah. Terrific organization. And if you look, and this is public, if you look at the Adidas corporate site, they have a strategy mm-hmm. and it's explicit on it's explicitly shared on their website. Yeah. Their strategy is to is to is to dominate the game. Yeah. Through through being centered around the, uh, the customer. And in Creators Club is clearly the mechanism, the enabler to do that. Yeah. And they, they'd be a great, they'd be a great guest on your show and happy, happy to help there, Paula, just to do, to do a, a little plug. Okay. Well, the sooner the better, as far as I'm concerned, Phil. So we will take that one offline, but what a beautiful story. And thank you for articulating it because again, I haven't, I haven't explored, um, in fact, anything in that space, you know, so really to, to see a brand that's so committed and coming through in your report um, as best in class. So um, very, very impressive work from Adidas. And to pick up on the point that you mentioned as well about the tiers, um, because actually I, this did surprise me, I would say, Phil, because 
you know, uh, as far as I'm aware, Starbucks Rewards, for example, uh, took away tears a couple of years ago. I think uh, literally just two years ago. Um, and my my understanding was that was in an effort to simplify the program. But coming through very clearly, I think the quote that I saw in the summary was three out of five members would do more business if given access to an enhanced tier. And they do feel a sense of reciprocity, uh, that word again, um, a multiple of nearly three times as much, 2.9. Yeah, it, 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 you know, again, kind of go back to the definition. If, if loyalty marketing is, is understood or accepted to be how, how a company, how a business and a brand pays attention to customers and treats them accordingly. Yeah. And you can't treat every customer exactly this with the same value, nor should you economics, yeah. economic yeah. logic defies that. Yeah. You've got to be able to, and this is, this is what Adidas has done at scale with the, their tier structure and the, mm-hmm. and just the whole, the, the mechanics of creators club is to show customers that they know how valuable they are. Yeah. Yeah. And Nike doesn't do that. Mm. They don't do that at scale. Mm. Years ago, when we actually our first year at our dialogue, we we were fortunate enough to win the business from Nordstrom to redesign what was the original Nordstrom rewards program, which was no tears. Yes. Tender only. Okay. And Nordstrom was this company legendary, right? Yes, of course. Every customer is every customer on the floor in the store is valuable and should get this exemplary Nordstrom service. Right. Mm-hmm. Which was great, but you know, the law of finance says at a certain point you can't do that for every customer. Yeah. And so we we help them go from no tiers to four tiers. Okay. And not according to us, according to other more more highly paid consultants. <laughs> Who, I, who whose name I will not reveal. Okay. They identified that 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 new program created a billion dollars worth of incremental value for that business. Wow. I can say this because this was more than yeah. ten years ago. Of course. Yeah. But but the value of tears is is well known, especially if you think about the importance of experience versus mm. transactional richness. Yeah. We see it in the airline industry, even though the airline industry shows some challenges in the report relative to tiers and people view, we got different perspective from airline members about tiers. I think a lot of that has to do with the sample and it has to do with people not traveling as much in COVID, but but we also saw the hotels and the airline companies come out Mm. at the very beginning of COVID and say, wait, 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 we know you can't travel or you're not going to travel. We're going to protect your status. Why? Not because you're getting more free flights and hotel rooms, because you're getting a better experience through that status. Okay. Well, you've convinced me, Phil. I'll put that back up on my my level on, on the respect uh, <laughs> spectrum. So thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, there's way too much to go through um, in, in full detail, Phil. What else would you like to cover now? What's your, I suppose, favorite insight from, you know, all of the incredible amount of work that you've put into it? And, you know, as I said, a showcase of 39 extraordinary brands coming through. What's your favorite learning uh, with this year's loyalty report? I have to go back to the the the, the 
the way that the seven drivers lead to the outcome of Sheriff Wallet yeah. is gets way beyond some of the traditional metrics we've used as an industry okay. in terms of success. Mm. And because that share wallet is measurable. Yeah. And because it will resonate with the most important people in the company mm. uh, organizationally. <laughs> That's I'll, true. I'll, I'll, I'll just suck up to the CFOs of the world totally. uh, yep. a, a little bit. Yeah. But as, as a client CEO of a very successful uh, company, once said, and he was a financier. This was this was uh, responding to a presentation. He said, "If the answer is not money, you need to rephrase the question." <laughs> Brilliant. And, and yeah, you know that's the scorecard of business. That's how yeah. companies get valued, and that's how they drive a higher valuation is through the ability to to yeah. demonstra- demonstrably better manage customer, you know, develop and manage customer relationships. Yeah. So uh, that would be my, my exciting takeaway. I love it. I love it. It's all about share of wallet, Phil, my goodness. So the final question, of course, then is how can listeners access the report? So the report will be available, is available now, actually, Mm -hmm. on, uh, on the bond website, Mm -hmm. bondbrandloyalty.com. Fantastic. Yeah. It'll be prominently featured and there'll be the ability to download the very exact same exact summary that, that, that you've read yes. through and ask so many good questions about. Enjoy so thoroughly. No problem. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, so that executive summary freely available to anyone and everyone. Um, and to your point earlier, again, it's not because you're in, in bond now that um, it's it's the reference point. I do think this is almost the Bible of the industry um, or certainly one of them. So um, so I'm thrilled to have uh, early access to it, to, uh, to learn so much from you today. Um, and yeah, just want to say, I hope we can continue the conversation conversation. So Phil Rubin, Executive Vice President of Bond Brand Loyalty. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.